Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, produced by Nina Serrano, Julieta Kuznir, and Vanessa Bohm. Tonight's program includes News Sin Fronteras with Vilma V, and an update from Brazil with journalist Giogo Antonio Rodriguez. Julieta Kuznir speaks with the executive director of the Central American Resource Center in San Francisco about the issue of unaccompanied minors immigrating from Latin America to the U.S., and our very own Nina Serrano dedicates a poem to these young children. We'll also be featuring music from the upcoming Canciones del Mar, Songs of the Sea concert that will be taking place this weekend at the Hyde Street Pier in San Francisco. But stay tuned because we'll also be giving away a pair of tickets to the upcoming festival, Mexiam. First, we begin with the news. This is Velma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders from America Latina for the week ending July 13th. Honduras, during an interview with the Mexican daily paper Excelsior, Honduran President Juan Hernandez spoke about the child migration crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. President Hernandez blamed U.S. drug policy for fueling violence in the region, which has resulted in the current surge of thousands of young people migrating to the United States. He stated that the large anti-drug operations carried out by the U.S. and Colombia have pushed drug trafficking into his country as well as Guatemala and El Salvador. President Hernandez stated, quote, A good part of it has to do with the lack of opportunities in Central America, which has its origin in the climate of violence, and this violence, almost 85% of it, is related to the issue of drug trafficking, end quote. Honduras currently has the highest per capita murder rate in the world. Argentina and Cuba. The president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, has signed a series of agreements concerning nuclear energy with the government of Argentina, led by President Christine Fernandez de Kirchner. The agreement allows for the Russian atomic energy company, known as Rosatom, to join in the construction of the third unit of the Atucha nuclear power plant located in Buenos Aires. It was back in 2006 that the Argentine government announced the reactivation of its national nuclear program, partly in response to a natural gas energy shortage experienced two years earlier in 2004. Argentina has three nuclear reactors generating about one-tenth of its electricity. While touring the Latin American region, President Putin also visited Cuba, where he signed a dozen accords in areas as diverse as energy, health and disaster prevention, and construction. The agreements also include Russian assistance in modernizing Cuban ports, including its airport. Russia is also forgiving up to 90% of the more than $35 billion in debt from the Soviet era. President Putin also made an unexpected visit to Nicaragua, where he met with Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega. It was the first time a Russian leader had ever visited that country. Guatemala. Guatemalan authorities revoked the temporary resident permits granted to two Peace Brigade International volunteers earlier this month. The volunteers, who are Spanish and Chilean nationals, witnessed the violent eviction in late May of the peaceful protests in La Puya on the road to the El Tambor mine just north of Guatemala City. The violent eviction is just one of the multiple examples of the repression associated with Canadian mining projects in the Central American region. During the eviction, hundreds of police and military personnel used tear gas and flash bombs against 
the indigenous communities to violently break up the over two-year peaceful blockade of the road leading up to the El Tambor mine. Over 20 people were injured during the forced eviction. Colombia. Colombian military troops killed over a dozen FARC guerrilla members in fighting over this past weekend. General Juan Pablo Rodriguez stated that it was part of a, quote, sustained and continuous operation, end quote, against the FARC located in the northwest part of the country. The operation came after a month-long pause implemented while the country held national elections. President Juan Manuel Santos, who was just re-elected and vowed to continue the peace talks with the rebels, sent out a Twitter message congratulating the military on the success of the operation. To date, there is no ceasefire in place for the region's oldest armed conflict. Brazil. After weeks of play, billions of dollars spent, hundreds of protests, and thousands of international crazed fans, the World Cup ended this past Sunday in Brazil. Maracanã Stadium hosted Argentina and Germany for the final game. As many of you already know, Germany won La Copa Mundial by beating Argentina 1-0 in an exciting game that went into extra time. Germany's win marks the first World Cup victory for a European country playing in the Americas. The Brazilian team, with its almost impossible expectations to win it all at home, in the end was not even able to make it to third place, losing to the Netherlands on Saturday 3 to nothing. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Raza Chronicles. If you have a news item that you would like to share or have us track, email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. The 2014 World Cup is over. It is safe to say that it was a success, but it was far from perfection. Last Sunday, Germany beat Argentina by 1-0 in Maracanã Stadium in the last chapter of the World Cup. Germany, which was seen as the best since the beginning of the competition, was crowned its fourth title. The Argentinians depended on their star, Lionel Messi, who did not perform as well on the final as he does in his club, Barcelona. But second place was a good result for a team no one would bet on. In Buenos Aires, the fans gathered in Nove de Julio Avenue to celebrate a surprising campaign and establishing second place. The ones who were disappointed were the Brazilians, Argentinians' biggest football rivals. The Seleção was humiliated by the Germans in the semifinal, being beaten by 7-1, the worst loss in Brazil's history. This result cost manager Luis Felipe Scolari's job and sparked a wave of criticism. Without Neymar, the Brazilians seemed lost on the field. By the end of the first half, Germany was already winning by 5-0. Brazilian sports media is now discussing who could be responsible for putting together such a weak team. Scolari, the National Confederation, or players inexperienced. The commentators on Nia Gipassi on ESPN Brazil agreed that we need to invest in youth, something Germany has been doing since 2004 with great success. Outside the field, the cup had no major problems. 
National and international media expected chaos, but fans and journalists had no problems arriving and leaving stadiums and flying across the country. There were no major issues with security, a serious problem in Brazil. Some problems occurred, of course. Maracanã was invaded twice by Argentinian and Chilean fans who had no tickets for the games. In Porto Alegre, the sound system malfunctioned, so Honduras and France did not hear their anthems. The lighting failed twice during the opening match in the Arena Corinthians in Sao Paulo. Bathroom lines were long in some stadiums, and the snack stands ran out of food before games ended. The Brazilian military police did not leave a good impression. Four journalists were injured in a protest near the Arena Corinthians before the opening game. More than 15 journalists were injured last Sunday in Rio when a thousand people protested close to Maracanã. A Canadian photographer was beaten up and had a camera stolen by a police officer. Voters will probably not forget about the $15 billion spent on the World Cup. More than 85% of that value came from public funds. In the upcoming October national elections, we will know how successful the Copa really was in Brazilians' opinion. President Dilma Rousseff is hoping the voters will remember that the predicted chaos never happened and the Copa helped improve Brazil's image and self-esteem. The opposing parties will have to bet on other themes in order to win the election. The 2016 Olympics in Rio are around the corner. Until the beginning of the World Cup, people feared it would be a complete disaster. One skeptical, the International Olympic Committee seems to be relieved. President Thomas Bach told the New York Times, quote, The world has seen the organizational skills of Brazil in this World Cup, end quote. Optimism, a rare feeling since 2013's protests, seems to be growing again in Brazil. For KPFA's Arasa Chronicles, this is Diogo Antonio Rodriguez from Sao Paulo, Brazil. We at Arasa Chronicles want to take a moment to thank Sao Paulo journalist Diogo Antonio Rodriguez for his dedicated weekly commentary on Brazil leading up and through the World Cup. This noted journalist was our exclusive on-the-ground commentator who included the social, political, economic, as well as sporting point of view of La Copa Mundial, this international World Cup event. We want to send him a special thanks. Obrigado, Diogo Antonio Rodriguez from La Raza Chronicles. While he may not be with us every week, from now on, he'll continue to provide us regular updates from Brazil in the future.
when children are the enemy. I've been watching for days now as media reports display the growing hatreds at the arrival of Central American children across the Mexican border. American voices crackle with bile as they begin to drumbeat for their immediate deportation. Vile names are called against them, and they are described as invaders, sick and dirty. In truth, they are refugees from want and war, almost all the result of U.S. interventions in Central America in support of murderous military regimes and the mindless drug war. These are the grandchildren of NAFTA, the economic policy which leached wealth from Mexico and its neighbors. That said, this antipathy shown towards children is deeply disturbing. It reminds me of the era of the Second World War, when a bill was submitted in Congress to allow the entry of thousands of Jewish children. The Wagner-Rogers bill would have saved 20,000 kids living in Germany. But President FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, opposed it, and the bill died. Actually, many U.S. elites opposed it, including Roosevelt's cousin, Laura Delano Hauteling. She was the wife of the U.S. Immigration Commissioner, who argued 20,000 charming children would all too soon grow into 20,000 ugly adults. Such crude racism portrays the ugliness of Americans, and the day will come when we will look back at how these children are treated today, and we will not feel pride. This frenzy, this political and social fear whipped up by petty, ambitious politicians will yet pass, but left behind will be our shame at how a nation that claims so much greatness can be so small and so cruel. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kuznir. We're very lucky to have on the line with us Larisa Dugan-Cuadra. She's the executive director of CARESIN, the Central American Resource Center based in San Francisco, California. Very, very long time issue that has been affecting our community, which is the fact that young people are really being forced and pushed out of their homes and being forced to make a very difficult journey to the U.S. This issue is now in constant spotlight. So we're very lucky to have Larisa on the line to provide some context. Larissa, as you know very well through your work, through Caresen's work, through the work you do as part of the collaborative that's working towards immigrants' rights and immigrants' justice, this is not a new issue, and this is an issue most people who are coming to the U.S. are not coming because they want to. They're coming because they're being pushed. Can you provide some context? Because that's often left out of the conversation. Sure. Thank you. And uh, buenas noches to the Bay Area community. This is, like you said, it's been an issue that we've been dealing as part of our mission as the Central American Resource Center, founded in the 80s, in response to the exodus of that time of Central Americans fleeing the military dictatorships of the region. Today, what we see is very similar to what happened then, given the scale, which is something that I think none of us could have anticipated. For decades, we have been serving children who have crossed the border either unaccompanied or with their families, in search of their families, in search of new opportunities and to escape violence in the region. But in the recent months, what we have seen is a clear and very marked spike in the numbers 
of uh, these miners coming through our doors, and it is indeed directly related to their release and reunification to family members in the Bay Area. Carecen over the past few years has seen an average of maybe 20 unaccompanied minors that come through our doors who, again, have been reunified with their families and are seeking legal counsel, representation, and other social services. Just in the past two months, that number has gone up from 20 to about 60 children, or if you want to break it down weekly, we're seeing about 15 children ages 8 to 17 coming through our doors with family members and sponsors. We also know that in the Bay Area, the number has also increased because, again, there's a huge backlog of 60,000-plus children who are in detention centers who are slowly, not fast enough, being reunified with their families. And in the Bay Area, this is translating to about 200 to 250 children who have family members out here who can be reunified. So also in our work transnationally and traveling to the region, we last year actually went to Central America as part of a National Alliance of Latin American and Caribbean Communities delegation because we understood that we needed to educate the population down there about the myths and realities of immigration reform. We had heard that coyotes and human traffickers were telling the community that this is a time to send their children because they would be legalized, they would be given citizenship. So we um, engaged in a very aggressive popular education media campaign in the region to let people know that the immigration reform it was not a law, it was debate that was happening in the country, and that um, you know people should make informed decisions about uh, choosing to migrate north. At that time, we had the opportunity to meet with local governments and nonprofit organizations as well as civil leaders who were speaking to what they were seeing, which was this dramatic increase in uh, children and women. Uh, historically, the migratory patterns from our countries in the last two decades have been of unaccompanied young men under 17, many of them, as well as, in general, lots of men. There's always been women and children. But this was something that was very noticeable, not only to the governments, but to us, seeing people who come through our doors, that there was an increase. We knew that this is something that needed attention. We've been talking about it for the past two years. And unfortunately, not until this kind of media explosion around the issue is it becoming something that's more kind of commonly being discussed in the country. We didn't anticipate the number of, of children, and we can attribute this forced migration to lots of things, starting with the profound levels of poverty in the region. Uh, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, Nicaragua are the poorest countries of the Western Hemisphere after Haiti. To give an example, the average or the legal minimum wage in El Salvador is $209 a month, and that is if you're lucky and your employers actually honor that. Uh, you also have the challenges related to the drug trafficking in the area and the opportunism of organized crime and drug cartels, which are you know, extorting people and communities to make sure that their path for the drug traffic is clear. And in that process, many children are being recruited, extorted, and forced into the gangs and to organized crime cells and so on. So there is a genuine and real condition that is forcing people from the region north further impacted by children who want to reunify with their families because maybe their parents or other family members had to migrate north in order to send money home so that their children could have food at the table and, if fortunate, go to school. And I think that with all this misinformation and just the, again, heightened violence that's happening in the region, this has really catapulted a huge increase in forced 
migration of children and women. That's the voice of Larissa Dugan Cuadra. She is the executive director of Carecen Central American Resource Center based in San Francisco. She's working alongside with many other community-based organizations that serve immigrant children and families. So Larissa, you've mentioned some of the factors that have pushed children and families in general to bear this very difficult journey and to take a lot of risks. So that's one thing that's really being left out of this conversation. And another thing we're really seeing uh, not very much of is really compassion in terms of mainstream media's analysis of looking at possible solutions to address the many young people that are being sent back. What is Carecen and other organizations advocating for in terms of the best way to serve and to protect these young vulnerable children? The first thing that uh, has happened and we're very happy about is that there's been a collective outreach on behalf of the community, not just the service providers and the historical immigrant advocates. Uh, We have gotten calls from people who go to church. We've gotten calls from local merchants. We have had people come through our doors saying, I heard about what's happening. We want to help people who themselves have crossed the border and become you know, normalize and have their had their status adjusted or contributing members of the economy of this country and society who do not wish that journey on any child and have come concerned saying, tell us how we can help, how can we donate, how can we volunteer, because we're in outrage that our children are being treated as criminals. Uh, we feel the same way. We feel that the U.S. government's response to this crisis is anything but appropriate. In fact, we feel that they are using our children as political pawns in this eternal debate of immigration reform. We feel that the uh, idea of expediting deportations is ridiculous, outrageous, and absolutely unacceptable. These are children. They are unprotected. They are escaping violence, and they're seeking reunification with their families. We will do everything in our capacity to coordinate events at the local, state, and national level to express our outrage and to push the demand that all children be granted immediate protection as well as resources be allocated for their their social integration, social-emotional healing, and overall like access to social services while they're on the path to recovery after being reunified with family members here in the U.S., We also are concerned about the children who may end up being repatriated, either because they still have family in the the region and their family after all this decides that maybe the best choice is to bring the children home, despite the dangers that that may represent. There may be other children, given the current system, that just may simply be deported. And we are saying that all children, both the children who are reunifiable here in the United States, as well as children who may end up Um, being deported or repatriated, which we do not feel is the right option, need to be guaranteed safety and support systems in their countries of origin if that is the option that is essentially executed by the U.S. government. We don't feel that these children should be deported. They are escaping legitimate dangers and harm. I don't think any parent or child would engage on this path north if they didn't feel desperate. Furthermore, today we heard we had a press conference and rally at the steps of City Hall in support of a a local resolution by Supervisor Campos, Avalos, Mark, Kim, and and others that are supporting um, that San Francisco, you know, once again be a leader in advancing, you know, human rights, basic human rights, especially when it comes to children. We have a long history of being a sanctuary city, and we need to uphold that history. We have values that are humanitarian values. 
And we need to also address the local impact of the situation globally, right? Uh, We are seeing an increase in numbers. This is being reported by all of our partner organizations. And so we commend uh, the city for this effort. We're calling for a unanimous vote by the Board of Supervisors. And we want to work with uh, government and other stakeholders to make sure that we not only you know, address this right now while there's a hype and media coverage and all that, but that this is a long-term effort. Uh, There is no short-term solutions to this problem. So uh, during the press conference, there was a child who felt compelled after hearing all the stuff that was being said to share his story. We did not have this plan. He wasn't in the program. And he came up and he said, I want to share my story. This is a 12-year-old Guatemalan child who spoke more eloquently than (laughs) almost every adult I know and who said that he chose to cross the border because he wanted to meet his mother. He lived in poverty. He didn't see that he had any opportunities in his country. And despite his mother discouraging him to do so because she understood that the, you know, the dangers of the journey because she herself had engaged in this journey, the child did not listen to his mom, and he kind of went for it. And what he was sharing with us was the idea that He was lucky because of the path in which he came and because he made it safe to his mother. But he knows that many other children who have to go through a desert or more treacherous stretches of this border crossing um, may not have the same faith. In fact, we learned that today a child was found dead. This was a very heart-moving, and I think it's a truly representative story of what's happening is children who are escaping despair. Uh, If you're poor, if you're indigenous, You have very little promise in our countries of origin. And what we also want to understand is that we understand that our countries are faced with incredible challenges when you are dealing with so much poverty and when you're dealing with the legacy of military dictatorships and wars in the region that have plagued us for the last 30 years. You don't recover quickly from that. And I know that despite the efforts of our governments, difficult because often U.S. foreign policy, particularly when it comes to economic development, tends to have many strings attached and uh, prevent often the development of our countries in a way that is meaningful. And I can give a perfect example of El Salvador where the government decided to invest in the local production of seeds so to generate, regenerate the agricultural industry, which has been the historical industry of our countries. And the U.S. said, well, no, you have to sell Monsanto seeds uh, because that's part of the CAFTA agreement. So this is the kind of things that cripple our economies and that prevent people from having meaningful opportunities for work, for health, for education, and all the things that all humans deserve everywhere in the world. That's the voice of Larissa Dugan-Cuadra. She's the executive director of Carecen, based in San Francisco, Central American Resource Center. So, Larissa, if people are listening and they want to get involved, they want to support the work that's happening, what can they do? One, to help us spread the message that we are demanding the immediate release of these children and that they be reunified rather than deported. We don't feel that deportation is a, is a humane or viable option for these children. Second, we need support with addressing U.S. broken immigration system and foreign policies that have relegated our countries to further poverty. Uh, we are asking for resources and support to organize popular education and media campaigns, both in the U.S. and in the region, to warn the community about the dangers, myths, and realities of U.S. immigration law, as well as the dangers of choosing to migrate north especially during, with the current conditions and the dangers also of falling victims to coyotes and human traffickers. We need uh, the faith community. We need families. We need everyone to stand with us in demanding that these children be extended immediate protection 
and that they be treated as children, not as criminals. Many activities are being organized at the ground level with, uh, again, faith leaders, families, children, youth. Everybody's kind of rolling up their sleeves because if we can't guarantee our children protection, then who are we to go around the world preaching freedom, liberty, and justice for all? I can guarantee you that if this very crisis was happening in another country in the world, the U.S. would have already done everything they could, not only to shame that country, but to intervene. So the United States government needs to recognize that they have a humanitarian crisis in their own backyard, that there is no short-term solutions to this, and that they need to make real and meaningful investments, not only in the region, but in the community in the United States. Uh, We will be having a town hall on Saturday, July 19th, at 12 o'clock, it will be at the Presida Valley Community Center, which is on Presida Avenue in Alabama in San Francisco's Mission District. This is an open call to the community to join us and bring whatever it is that you have to offer because this is a time, this is a very critical time, as we know that the U.S. government is discussing ways to change current law that actually extends protection to children who may be victims of trafficking or violence. How is removing current protection is going to help these children, one. And two, how is deporting them back to their countries going to stop migration? It does not work. What we need is a shift in our thinking, and we need some serious, relevant, meaningful actions, not only for these children, but for the whole region. So we invite people to visit Caresen's website at www.caresensf.org. We invite you to come to the community town hall, And we invite you to help us spread the word that this is not about immigration. This is about children who deserve protection. They are sacred. All children are sacred. I think something that's also worth mentioning is that there's been things that I think are incredibly detrimental and, in fact, furthermore racist that's coming out of the media, including saying that these children have infectious diseases, that they're bringing diseases to the U.S., saying things like how can these parents, you know, put these children on this path, There's just such a lack of understanding of what's really happening in the region. And furthermore, there's a conversation about, you know, the role of gangs catalyzing this this forced migration. There's some truth to that. But what people also need to understand is that the children who are in the gangs in Central America are also victims. Those children have been recruited, extorted, or seen no absolute other option but to join a gang so that they can feed their children, feed their families, and, and survive in very, very difficult conditions that we're seeing in the region. I think it's important to highlight the humanity of these children. They also need support. Uh, We need social programs in our countries that help children reintegrate into society in a healthy, positive manner. And we think that if the U.S. diverted all the money, or at least a portion of the money that they're investing in border security, we could start tackling some serious social issues that are affecting our countries of origin. Let's not even talk about the things that we could do domestically in the U.S. with those dollars. And that's just speaking about investment and militarization of borders. We're not talking about all the millions and billions of dollars that are being spent by this country in, you know, intervening throughout the world. Yet, again, we can't even, like, address 60,000 children who are neighbors who are, again, escaping the conditions that in many ways we help to create. People can visit Caresen's website, www. Carecensf.org. That is C-A-R-E-C-E-N-S-F.org. There's also sister organizations in Washington, D.C. So there's Carecen, D.C., and there's Carecen, Los Angeles. 
We're also working with the SHARE Foundation, which is based in Berkeley and El Salvador. We're working with RENACE, which is the Red Nacional de Salvadoreños en el Exterior. This is a civic group of Salvadorians. We're also working with other groups, Guatemalan groups, Honduran groups. So we're asking people to, one, visit our website so you can find out about activities that will be happening in our community. And we're asking people to help spread the word, you know, that this is really a humanitarian crisis and needs a humanitarian solution, not an immigration solution solution, and we're asking people to make donations if they can, to speak to um, clergy and members of their churches, um, and essentially we're just making a big call to the community to really learn more about what the push factors are and to understand that immigration at this point is not optional. It's really a forced migration that we're seeing. And it would be great if people could write letters to President Obama. There's also another campaign that's called Mr. President, Use the Power of the Pen. This is a NALAC campaign. and People can visit www.nalacc.org, and they can access um, the postcard, and they can sign, you know, asking the, the, the president not only to use his executive power, but to stop deportations now. So we're inviting uh, the community at large, Bay Area, people and families, children, to join us for a community town hall this Saturday, July 19th at 12 o'clock at Presida Valley Community Center, which is located at the corner of Presida Street and Alabama Street in San Francisco's Mission District. This is being sponsored by many organizations and groups. And again, we will have information on our website at www.carecensf.org. And you can also visit NALAC's website, N-A-L-A-C-C.org, and we will have information about these efforts. That's the voice of Larissa Dugan-Cuadra. She is the executive director of CARES and Central American Resource Center. Muchísimas gracias. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much. poem written by Nina Serrano and accompanied by an extraordinary group of musicians, Charlie Girk on sax, Jose Roberto Fernandez on guitar, Edgardo Cambon on percussion and vocal, and Diana Gamero's vocal and guitar, was recorded live here at KPFA for La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. <laughs>
Welcome, immigrant children. Bienvenidos. We are deeply sorry that our tax dollars, controlled by corporate elites, drove you from your family and your homeland. We open our hearts, our arms, our nurseries, our schools, our playgrounds, our sports fields, our youth programs, our after-school programs for your healthy development, for your growing minds, for your creative spirits. Welcome, children. May you find safe beds, affectionate adults to guide you, nutritious food, toys and tools to stretch your imagination. Children are born to be happy. May you fulfill your dreams. You've just heard the poem Welcome Immigrant Children Bienvenidos by Nina Serrano and accompanied by the musicians Charlie Girk on sax, Jose Roberto Fernandez on guitar, Edgardo Cambon, percussion and vocal, and Diana Gameros, vocal and guitar. They'll be performing aboard the tall ship Balcutha at 8 p.m. on Saturday. For tickets, go to eventbrite.com or reservations at weplayers.org. Poniendo la mano en el corazón Quisiera decirte al compasión son Get ready, it's time for our ticket giveaway. La Raza Chronicles will be giving away a pair of tickets for Baile Folclorico de Amalia Hernández, which is part of the Mexiam Festival taking place at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. The performance will take place on August 3rd at 5 p.m. We'll be giving away the tickets to the fifth caller, so call us at 510-848-4425. Mucha suerte! This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio four extraordinary musicians who'll be performing this Saturday, July 19th, Canciones del Mar, Songs of the Sea, singing songs about the sea, boats, love, and life, drawn from the folkloric and popular music traditions of Latin America and the Caribbean, directed by Charlie Girk. The 6 p.m. concert will be aboard the tall ship Balcutha, and it's already sold out. 
Fortunately, due to popular demand, a second set has been added to the Saturday, July 19th evening of music aboard the tall ship Balcutha at 8.30 p.m. Tickets are available online at eventbrite.com or on reservations at weplayers.org. That's reservations at weplayers.org. The Balcutha is docked at Hyde Street Pier in San Francisco, 2905 Hyde Street. And We Players produces site-specific theater, and this is extremely site-specific. Here to tell us the backstage story are four of the musicians who will be performing in this widely successful event. Charlie Girk, Alameda saxophonist, composer, educator, and music director of We Players. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Charlie. Thank you for having us, Nina. It's a pleasure. And Diana Gameros from Ciudad Juarez, singer, songwriter, whose songs you hear regularly on La Raza Chronicles. It's a pleasure to be here again. We use your songs so often, it's a pleasure for our listeners to be able to hear you again. And Egardo Cambon, popular musician from Uruguay, band leader and percussionist and vocalist. Hola, Nina. Es un placer estar aquí. Gracias. Igualmente. And also, José Roberto Hernández, who's a guitarist, singer, and composer from Tabasco, Mexico. Muchísimas gracias por tenernos aquí, Nina. Un placer para nosotros. So, welcome all of you. This is an exciting concert. How did this come about, Charlie? It came about through my association with We Players, which is a site-specific theater company. We Players' mission is to transform public spaces into sites of participatory theater. And most of what we do is classical theater, with like a lot of Shakespeare and Greek drama. But we've developed a relationship with the San Francisco Maritime National Historical Park at Hyde Street Pier. And they've sort of given us free reign to produce not just theater, but kind of whatever we wanted to on the pier there, as long as it relates to their mission, which is as a historical park to enliven the history of the pier. And so part of what we're doing is producing some concerts at the pier, and this is one of them, Canciones del Mar. When they approached me about producing some concerts, this was one of the first things that came to mind, partially because of my background growing up around the Bay Area playing Latin music, and knowing that just a lot of the repertoire of music from Latin America speaks of the sea and of boats and of, you know, sea animals and all these things, you know, which makes sense with all the countries and coastlines and islands in the Caribbean and everything. And it was a really natural connection for me to put on a concert of this music with those themes. And you yourself have spent many years living on a boat. Yeah, I grew up sailing here on the bay and uh, up and down the coast of California. So it's also, yeah, something that's sort of personally close to my, my I life. don't know if listeners know this, but those who listen to my monthly program, Poet to Poet on Open Book. The opening music, the theme music, the theme music is composed by Charlie Girk. So thank you so much for that, Charlie. Oh, it was my pleasure. Diana, could you tell us something about this first song that you're going to play? Yeah, this is a song that was written by Silvia Resach, and she's a singer and composer and poet from Puerto Rico, and she was known in the 40s and the 50s. And this song is called Hola. 
olas y arenas, which means waves and sand. So Silvia uses a metaphor in which she explains that she's she's the sand and the waves never get to her. It's a love song. Yeah, and so we we made an arrangement for it for this for this concert on Saturday. So let's hear it live recorded here at KPFA for La Raza Chronicles. Que en la playa está tendida Envidiando otras arenas Que le quedan cerca al mar Eres tú la inmensa ola Que al venir casi me tocas Pero siempre te devuelves hacia atrás Y las veces que te derramas sobre arena me decida ya creyendo que esta vez me tocarás al llegarme tan cerquita pero luego te recoges y te pierdes en la inmensidad del mar soy la arena que la ola nunca toca y que en la playa tendida vive sola superar tú eres sola te envuelves en la bruma y te disuelves en espuma, alejándote was a beautiful song, Diana. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Jose, I wonder if you could tell us about this next song that we're going to hear. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, the next song is from a Mexican composer. The name of the composer is Gonzalo Curiel Barba. He born in Guadalajara, Jalisco, and he makes this beautiful song called Vereda Tropical. Vereda Tropical is uh, la historia de un personaje que llega a la playa y se acuerda de un amor y empieza a extrañar ese amor. This is a song about a person who remembers his love. Y Vereda Tropical es en realidad una de las canciones... It's one of the so many songs that we have uh, talking about the beach or the sea, you know. We have a lot of, like Charlie says, in America, in Latin America, we have a lot of composers who make songs in talking about the sea and the beach and, and the love. And But uh, this song is a beautiful song. It's a bolero song, and I hope you like it. I'm sure we will.
besar su boca otra vez junto al mar. Vereda, 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 Thank you, Jose. That was just a beautiful song. It's really wonderful to hear these songs about the sea because the sea itself is so sensuous and so connected to the moon and so connected to our deepest feelings and even the rhythm of the way our blood pulses and our hearts pulse. And that's so reflected in the music that you're bringing to us today. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Edgardo, what can you tell us about this next song? Sure. Well, this next song uh, is a composition by Polo Montañez. Polo Montañez uh, was, uh, and I say was, because he passed away within the last decade. I don't know exactly when he died, but he was one of the luminaries of the Cuban Tres guitar, which is a double-string uh, set of uh, guitar similar to the Puerto Rican Cuatro and the Venezuelan Cuatro, but double strings. And uh, he was a master of that instrument. He was always an incredible composer and a very good lyricist. He happened to be a guaj a person who grows up in the inland in, as a peasant, a field worker, etc. And he became very proficient recording a lot of these songs and became a hero, unfortunately, after dying in a, in a car accident in Cuba. But the interesting thing about Polo was that I imagine in my fantasy that I think Polo, Polo didn't live close to the ocean. But then again, if you're born in Cuba, anywhere, in any direction you go, you're close to the ocean. So uh, oh. this song called Barco a la Deriva, it stands by the loss of love. How can you, when you lose love, you know, you you kind of like going uh, as a as a as a what would you call it? A lost ship, a yeah, deriva, a, dri yeah, a, dr a drift, a drift, right? A yeah, drift, a drifting. Drift. So uh, that's what this song is about. And and in this and in this show, there is a composition that I wrote called Belero Sin Timon, which also is kind of like the same. Uh, meaning about it and by the way anybody who is listening we're not going to take off from the harbor we're going to be dark so if you're seasick don't think that we're going anywhere we're staying right there and we're going to be very safe so That's there is right. no titanic ending on this with all due respect so we're right here well let's hear this beautiful song <laughs> Nada es igual, nada me interesa, no hay luna, no hay un sol, lucero ni estrellas, y hasta el aire que respiro siento que me quema. Cuando amanece sin ti la vida me parece poco, porque sin tu amor yo me vuelvo loco, quiero ir tu voz, verme en tu mirada. Porque sin tu amor la vida no está en nada. Porque sin tu amor la vida no está en nada. Hecha. Porque la vida mía sin ti mi vida se quita. Mi vida es sin ti. Oh. 
oye, una bala de riva, oye, coge una pistola y mátame, ¡pum! Porque no quiero la vida. vida es sin ti, eso, un barco a la deriva. Vengo en este barco perdido, perdiendo así si la vida. vida es sin ti, por eso ven, ven, un barco a la deriva. Y si no vas a volver, oye, no, mi vida, oye, no me lo digas. Mi vida es sin ti. Y en la guitarra, un barco a la deriva. Gracias, Edgardo. The song is beautiful, beautiful. You're very welcome. You can attend this concert this Saturday night, July 19th, Canciones del Mar, and it's going to be right on the Belcutha ship, which they promise won't move. The first set is totally sold out, sorry, totally sold out, but you can order tickets for the 8.30 performance online. That's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com or reservations at weplayers.org. That's reservations at weplayers.org. The Balcutha, the ship, is docked at the Hyde Street Pier in San Francisco, 2905 Hyde Street. Gracias a todos. Thank you. Our pleasure. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA. If you want to hear this program again or share it with your friends, you can go to www.kpfa.org. And remember to like us on Facebook. See you next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Hasta la próxima.